The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Heather. Um, Growing up, I always believed in God. We went to church some, but we weren't regularly going to church. The older I got, the more I kind of went away from going to church. I went through some really bad relationships growing through my teenage years, my 20s, and into my 30s. Most recently, I was in an eight-year relationship that was not a good relationship for me. I was very unhappy, and we had two children together, and I stayed for the children. I was very controlled, I guess you would say. Um, Whatever he wanted to do, I did. Uh, I didn't really see my friends, didn't see my family. Everything was about him and my children. I lost myself in that relationship. Lost my smile, lost my laugh, lost everything about me. Um, I was there basically just to be mom to my kids. My unhappiness was not good for anyone. It was not good for myself, was not good for my children. After eight years of waking up every day, not knowing why I was here, what my purpose was, It was time for me to make a change. Maybe you can relate to Heather because there's a specific area in your life where you feel defeated, where you just don't feel like things are going well, where the odds are growing against you and you feel like when you look at the battle of your life, like you're guaranteed defeat. Maybe for some of you, there's a lot of areas of your life where you, def- you feel defeated. And one has just piled on the other, on the other, and there's just a long list in your life of areas where you feel defeated. But then there are others of you where you're winning in a lot of areas. But then there's this one specific area of life where you feel completely beat up and defeated. Maybe you're succeeding at work, but when you walk through the door of your home, you feel like a failure. Maybe your education is going great, but your relationships are falling apart. Or, or maybe you're, you're a success in your social media life. Everybody on Facebook thinks you're awesome. But in reality, you feel like a loser. And you and I, we can all relate because every one of us have a specific area of our life, at least, where we feel defeated. Before the battle begins, we feel like we've already lost. And you know how it works. Before the argument starts, you've resigned yourself that this relationship is over. Before the paycheck even gets deposited into your account, you know it's not gonna be enough. And it's interesting, in these areas of our life where we feel defeated, It seems like the odds just continue to grow against us. It's as if we already didn't feel like we were gonna lose. Things just go from bad to worse, right? Like you already don't have enough to pay the bills and then your car breaks down. Or, you know, uh, there's some other area of your life, like you don't have enough time at work to get all of the work done and you feel like you're falling behind and your, your boss is on your, on your neck and then all of a sudden you get two more projects handed to you with a tight turnaround time and you're like, are you kidding me? I already can't keep up and things just went from bad to worse. 
How much more can I take? And what happens is, in these areas of our life where we feel defeated, where the odds continue to grow against us, they drive our fears. Fear that we're going to fail. Fear that we're going to be rejected or betrayed. Fear that we're gonna lose so much that emotionally we can't lose anymore or we're gonna shut down maybe even shut down on life itself. And if you can relate to feeling defeated before the battle begins, if you can relate to the impossible odds being stacked against you and those odds driving your fears, then you can certainly relate to a guy named Gideon. Gideon becomes an unlikely commander in a nation that's gotten itself into a mess. The nation of Israel Uh, After they took possession of their promised land for over 400 years, God had been promising them that they were going to have this great land of Canaan. And then Joshua led them on a military campaign where they took over the land. They wiped out their enemies and they began to enjoy peace and prosperity in the land. But the nation of Israel had a problem with prosperity. Every time things would go well, they would turn their back on God and they would reject God. And when they turned their back on God, they would do what they wanted. And there's this common refrain in the book of Judges where it would say, and the people did what was right in their own eyes, which meant they were doing what was wrong in God's eyes. And when they would turn their back on God, God would withdraw his blessing from them. Often an enemy nation would come in, oppress them, maybe conquer them, subject them to even slave labor, and then rob them of their possessions, even their food. In their desperation, the nation would cry back out to God. God would raise up a ruler, a judge, who would then lead them in battle, set them free from their enemies, where again they would have turned back to God, began to obey God. God would bless them and they would prosper in their prosperity They would turn their back on God and the whole cycle would repeat itself. So here we are in a season in in, uh, Judges chapter six and seven, where the nation of Israel has now become uh, oppressed by the Midianites. And God comes to and appears to a guy named Gideon. Gideon is down in a wine press. A wine press would be like a, a rock carved out bowl, but a bowl deep enough for a man to stand. And what they would do is people would go into this bowl and they would stomp on the grapes. The grape juice would run out of a groove into like a bucket or another place where they could gather it. But when you thresh wheat, you go onto a hillside where the wind is blowing because as they broke the wheat kernels, as they broke the wheat open, the chaff would get blown away by the wind and the wheat kernel, which is heavier, would stay on the ground. And so the idea is when you thresh wheat, you need wind, you don't go into a wine press because obviously down in that bowl, there's no wind. And so the point here is Gideon is hiding for his life in a place where you shouldn't thresh wheat because he's scared that if the Midianites see him threshing wheat on a hillside, they'll beat him up and they'll steal his food. All right. So talking about a a guy who's a little bit of a coward who's hiding and God reveals himself to Gideon and says, Hey, mighty warrior and mighty warrior to Gideon is like, you know, somebody walking up to a really short little wimpy guy and saying, Hey, big guy, like it's mean. It's like, you don't say that. 
seeing a bald guy and saying, nice head of hair, right? Like, like that's not nice. You don't do that. Like, you don't say those kind of things, right? Like, like, like somebody says to me, hey, good looking. Like, hey, come on. Like, that ain't right. Like, you ain't got to just spit in my face, right? Okay, that's what it feels like to Gideon. God shows up to Gideon and he's like, hey, mighty warrior. And he's like, all right, God. Like, really? You got to add insult to injury? I'm already hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat in a wine press, and now you got to make fun of me. But God is actually calling Gideon to become a mighty warrior. See, God sees in, Midian, God sees in Gideon what Gideon can't see. And so he calls Gideon and Gideon questions God and tests God in order to prove that God has actually called him to be a mighty warrior. And so Gideon tests God twice. And as a result, when Gideon is called to lead the army, God tests him twice. And that's where our story is going to pick up. Now, uh, the nation of Israel, their army is on one side of the Jordan River, and the Midianites are gathered with their allies on the other side of the Jordan River, and they're preparing for war. In Judges chapter 7, the story picks up. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped out at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Meaning there's too many of you. And I don't want to do, I don't want to bring you a victory through all of you. There's just too many. I, I can't bring you victory through all of those guys. What? This seems weird. Let me keep reading. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, so 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. So there's an army of 32,000 soldiers gathered at the spring of Herod, which translates spring of trembling. This is a common place where armies would gather for battle. And so men preparing for battle would begin to shake and tremble as they looked out at the other army spread out across the entire mountainside and countryside. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel begins to do. I don't know if Gideon was trembling, even though he had had these multiple encounters with God. But even if he wasn't trembling, 22,000 of his soldiers were. And so God says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna give you a victory, but I can't do it through all of these men because if I lead you to victory now, you'll think it was your strength and your soldiers that brought the victory. I know you're outnumbered. I know victory sounds unlikely, but it's not impossible yet. And God doesn't just want you to have an unlikely victory. God wants it to be impossible. And so what he does is he strips away from the nation what they are relying on what they're depending on. What they depended on was a large enough army. Even though they're already outnumbered about three to one, God's, God turns the odds against them and he makes it 10 to one. They would rely on their commander, so God gives them a coward. They would rely on their weapons and so God gives them, here's the list of weapons these guys are gonna take to battle. A jar, a torch, a sword, and a trumpet not exactly special forces gear. 
And that's what they're gonna face in battle. Why? Because God is taking away from them the stuff that they've been relying on. Maybe you're in a place of trembling right now. And you feel like in that place of trembling, even what you've been depending on is being taken from you. And you're looking up to God going, God, what are you doing? Why is everything going wrong? I was already afraid and now you're making matters worse for me. Well, you might be on the front end of a miracle. Verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And so the first test that God gives Gideon is a test of courage. Only those who are courageous remain, and that, that gave him 10,000 soldiers. So odds of about 10 to one, but God isn't done yet. So he says, no, I wanna, I wanna trim down the army more. And so he says, I want everybody to get down and get a drink. And so when they get down to get a drink, and so I gotta illustrate this for you, you guys all with me? Ready, hopefully those of you online, you can, you can follow me here. All right, so imagine they're at a spring and they're drinking water. You're gonna have two options. And so the first option is this. Now, you gotta think like a soldier. You got an army over there. And so how do, you, how do you demonstrate that you're ready for battle? And so the first group of guys, they get down and they get down on both knees. And they just think and put their face right in the water and they're like, <laughs> and they're just sucking up the water and they're not paying attention to anything and they're just hoping somebody else has got their back. But then there's this small group, 300 guys, who instead of getting down like that, they get down like this and they're looking around. They're alert and they're going like this. And then they're scooping up and they're lapping up the water and they're reaching back down. It's a little bit more difficult, it takes them a little longer, but they're ready for battle. And God's like, yeah, just keep those guys. And so there's only 300 that are alert and ready for battle. All the rest, 9,700 get sent home along with the other 22,000. And with, 3, 000, with 300 guys, God said, okay, now let's go to battle. And maybe you feel exactly like that. The odds have been stacked against you. Your, your unlikely victory just became not only impossible, but it just became insane. It feels more like a suicide mission. And you're like, God, are you kidding me? Maybe, just maybe, that series of setbacks are a setup for God to show up and show off and turn your life into an unlikely comeback. Maybe not just unlikely, maybe an impossible comeback, maybe an insane comeback. And so how, how do you invite the impossibilities of God to intersect with your impossibilities? It's simply this, when you're facing defeat in your life, when you're feeling beat up and you're facing impossible odds, here would be my challenge to you. Recklessly depend on God, recklessly. It means throwing caution to the wind, giving no regard for your safety or the safety of others throwing caution to the wind in order to fully depend on God. Now, wouldn't it be awesome, right? If I could just stand up here and say, and I guarantee you, you're gonna get victory in your, in your emotions and you're gonna get victory in your marriage and you're gonna get victory uh, in your uh, 
mind and you're going to get victory at work and you're going to get victory in your home life, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? But we all know that that's just not how reality works. No, reality works different because you and I are not just facing an enemy at home or an enemy in the workplace or an enemy in our minds or an enemy in our emotions. No, there is a far worse enemy that we face that we don't even realize. The enemy is within us, a real sabotaging spiritual enemy that already has us defeated. It's not just that we're facing an unlikely battle or an unlikely victory. It's not just that we're facing an impossible victory. We already lost. That's right, you and I, every other battle we face in life is secondary to the spiritual battle that we've already lost. We've been defeated. We're utterly ruined. We're not just on the battlefield with not enough weapons. We're dead on the battlefield. Spiritually, you and I enter life dead, decimated, ruined, because we disregard God, driven by sin, to go away from God and pursue our own selfish desires. When we disregard God, driven by sin, we are cut off from relationship with God. Therefore, we're cut off from eternal life, and all that is good and right, and we live just like the Israelite nation. We do what's right in our eyes, which then ruins our life, ruins relationships, ruins finances, and it leads us toward eternal ruin. But just like God heard the cry of his people, and he went after Gideon, and he chose Gideon, God heard your cry and mine. And God intervenes in our story, just like he intervenes, intervened in the story of Israel and Gideon. Let me read a little bit more to you. Before Gideon leads them to battle, he has this life-changing encounter in Judges chapter six, so just a chapter before. God reveals himself to Gideon while he's threshing wheat in the wine press. And when the, when the angel of the Lord appears, Gideon freaks. He exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord, he's terrified. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, which means certain death. This is like meeting the grim reaper. When God shows up, people get scared because usually they die. And so Gideon is scared for his life. He's like, oh, sovereign Lord, what are you doing here? And he's like scared he's gonna get struck dead. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is my peace. The Lord is peace. And, and the application that we put in our life, before you go trying to face your battles, before you go trying to overcome the defeats of life when the odds are stacking against you, before you try to muster enough strength to do it in your own power or your own courage, I, let me challenge you to first come back to God. You and I, we don't make a comeback on our own. You're not gonna make a two minute drill and throw three touchdown passes to lead your team into victory. Nope. I guarantee you, you and I are going to fail every time when it comes to our spiritual comeback. But there is a guaranteed comeback for every one of us. But that comeback is only possible when we come back to God. Gideon first comes back to God. How? Because God 
reveals himself to Gideon. God pursued Gideon. Gideon was running in the wrong direction. God runs after him. Maybe you're running in the wrong direction. I can assure you God is running after you. God not only runs after us and pursues us because he loves us, God does all of the work for our rescue. In the greatest comeback story of all, Jesus came to earth. He took all of the punishment that we deserve for sin. He took the collective eternal death sentence we faced and he put it on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. But his death was unjust. His death was incredibly tragic. And then he was buried in the ground and buried for three days and it seemed ridiculous, it seemed impossible. It seemed like, what is God doing? But God wasn't done yet. And in this greatest of all comeback stories, Jesus rises from the dead. He comes out of the tomb, victorious over death, victorious over our sin, victorious over eternal judgment, so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, his comeback becomes our comeback and that changes everything. Maybe you need a comeback right now. I can assure you what you and I need most is a spiritual comeback to God. And that's very real. That's very personal. And that's really practical. And so I asked Heather if she would share a little bit more of her story. So check this out. I decided to come to church one Sunday. My friend, my coworker invited me to church and I come to church and walk in and see my brother who I hadn't seen in a while and go up and sit with my friend. The sermon, the prayers, everything was for me. I let everything go that day and decided to follow God and he would lead me where I needed to be. I've been back to church every Sunday since then. I have decided God needs to be in my life. He needs to be who I'm following. So God has helped me through this time in my life where I needed him most. He's led me in the right direction. He's given me the confidence to get out there and um, back into the workplace. I was a stay-at-home mom for six years, so that took me a lot to do. He's also guided me to church every Sunday where before I would find excuses and reasons not to, and that's helping me rebuild my life being here. I decided to get baptized this past night of worship because I wanted everyone to see and know that I've accepted God into my life and I'm following Him. I'm not perfect, but I know that there's a purpose for me now. I now feel like I'm me again, all because I'm following Christ. Heather, thank you for your courage and your willingness to just share with us. I appreciate her vulnerability and just being honest. You know, the great thing is God doesn't expect perfection. He expects us to simply have an offer, an invitation for him to show up in the midst of our setbacks. And let me just challenge you with this. If we're gonna come back to God, then we've gotta be willing to reframe the circumstances of our life. Is it possible that all of these setbacks in your life are knocking you off the hamster wheel so that you'll come back to God? Is it possible that God is getting you off of your own confidence or away from your own self-reliance? He's knocking you out of those places where you've been depending on yourself and others so that you will come back and depend fully on him. Maybe all of the messiness of life, all of the battles that you're facing are simply bringing to you, 
you to a place where you're no longer depending on yourself, but you'll start to follow God. Maybe he's trying to get our attention. I'm not saying God is causing it. I am saying, however, God will use even the most messy and difficult of circumstances to bring us to the place where we will come back to him and begin to love him and trust him and need him and say, Jesus, you're all I have. You're all I've ever needed. See, the story of Gideon points to God. It's not about Gideon. It's not about the Midianites. It's about how God sees our enemies. God puts us in a position of impossibility possibility where there's no way we can face this battle on our own so that then we come back to God and we say, God, help. And then God will strip away everything from our life so that all we have is God. Meanwhile, you've been complaining about the things that are being taken from your life, but is it possible that as God is allowing those things to be stripped away, he's bringing you to a place of complete desperation so that you'll actually turn to him, so that you can discover his love, his forgiveness, his peace, his hope. Isn't that what Gideon found? In the midst of a war, Gideon discovers God as his peace. In the midst of whatever battle you're facing, would you first discover God as your peace? He is your rest. He is your provider. He is more than enough. He is your healer. He is your hope. He is your future. Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your victory. Jesus is all you need and all you ever needed. And when you come to that place, where you come back to God through faith in Jesus, then you can begin to take these two steps. And interestingly, the two steps I'm gonna give you make up the two words that define the word faith. So when you have faith in Jesus, these two words in the original language put together give you the word faith. The first would be this, and so I'm gonna read you a passage of scripture and then I'm gonna explain how you apply this. Let's go to verse, uh, Judges uh, chapter seven, verse seven. Remember, they're down to 300 guys, and then this. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. And the point was this. God was bringing Gideon to a place where he recklessly depended on God. 300 guys were not going to win the war. And in your life, God will bring us to a place where we first recklessly depend on God. The word depend or to trust or to believe. Are you at a place in your life where you have no other options? That's Gideon. He's got no options. And so he has to recklessly depend or rely on God. To rely on God means you have no other options. Usually I hear this statement, like as a last defense, I prayed. They're like, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. I, I called this person, I asked this person, I, I put it on Facebook and then I prayed. Right? And sometimes God will do that where he chips away at our options so that we have no option left except God. And in Gideon's situation, in Gideon's circumstances, he has no options except God. But here's what I see. 
When you have no options left and your circumstances have become impossible, you might just be on the front end of a miracle. Front end of miracles are scary. They look like having 300 soldiers with no weapons facing an impossibly great army. That's what a miracle looks like before it happens. In your life, when the circumstances start to pile up against you and you have no options left except God, you're probably on the front end of a miracle. Stop complaining and start relying on God. You know what relying on God looks like? So I had the I went to school in Virginia Beach. I was driving home to New York, driving a pickup truck over that 26 mile bridge that spans between Virginia Beach and Delaware. It's a horrible bridge. I mean, it's well built, but it is scary in a storm. You're driving over the Chesapeake Bay for 26 miles and there's waves that look like they're gonna overtake the bridge. I'm like white knuckling, ah! Like I thought it was like my last drive ever. And there's this moment you're driving and there it is, there it is, there's the bridge. And reliance looks like this. You don't pull the car up halfway. You don't put two wheels on the bridge and two wheels off one because you're gonna get rear-ended and that's gonna make a mess, right? No, no, no. Reliance means putting the full weight of your life and circumstances onto the object of your trust. If I rely on that bridge, I drive the vehicle up onto it and I keep going. If I am relying on God, I'm willing to drive the full weight of my life and circumstances onto my dependence on God. It's either all or nothing. Either I completely trust God or I don't trust him at all. Either I give him everything or I give him nothing. Either I believe that he can fully carry me or I don't put any weight on God. And if we are going to recklessly rely on God when the storm is raging and the waves look like they're gonna overtake the bridge, I say, God, it's all or nothing. I'm driving up onto your, onto your strength. I am depending on you. I need you. I've got nothing left. That's what it means to rely on God. So what are you relying on right now? Is it your education? Is it your capabilities? Is it someone else that's gonna take care of you? Are you looking to a spouse to meet your needs or to tell you that you're special? Or are you looking to someone else to give you the love that you need? Maybe it's time for you to put the car in gear and drive up onto the bridge of God's love of the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you're all I have and you're all I've ever needed. I'm gonna depend on you. I'm gonna rely on you. I trust you alone. That's recklessly relying on God. And then that leads to the next step. Let me read. After they prepare for battle, Gideon looks out at these 300 soldiers who've got a torch, a jar, a sword, and a trumpet. And he says this, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and, an empty jar, and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me. So listen to this. He goes, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are, who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Three times you heard a very distinct statement. Watch me, follow me, 
follow my lead and do exactly as I do. You know what I heard when I read that? Not only do we have to recklessly rely on God, but we have to recklessly obey God. Gideon is the commander, but God is commanding the army. This means we don't just give God the battle. God, I'm feeling defeated. I give you the battle, but it's gonna be my battle strategy. No, no, no. If I give God the battle, I have to depend on him and obey him for the battle strategy so that I invite God to not only fight through me, but fight for me. See, when I rely on God and I obey God, then my battles become God's battles. And some of us, I, I know because I do this regularly and I struggle with it. I want God to take control of my situation, but I want him to do it my way. So I pray and I tell God exactly how I want him to intervene. I give him the battle strategy for a battle that I'm giving to him. And then I wonder why it doesn't work out the way I wanted. Just had this happen to me just the other day. I, I was in a desperate situation and I told God how I wanted him to solve the problem. And then it wasn't getting solved and time was going by and I was getting more and more desperate. And then finally I was like, God, I don't know what I'm thinking. Do whatever you want. And I'm telling you 30 seconds after I said it, the, the issue got solved. And, and you know exactly what I mean. Right now you've got a battle that feels impossible and you're giving God the battle strategy. Here's the deal. It's not enough just to recklessly rely on God. If you're gonna recklessly rely on God, then you have to recklessly obey God. He says, watch me, follow my lead and do exactly what I say. Some of you, you've been praying for God to transform your financial situation. And he said, okay, I want you to start by giving generously to the church. And you're like, whoa, not one of those churches. Are you kidding me? And even right now, you're like, this doesn't feel comfortable anymore. This was an encouraging sermon until Patrick, you went there. You're like, no, no, God, you give me the check in the mail first and then I'll give. You know how many times I've said that to God? And he goes, no, 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 it's not how this works. My battle, my strategy. You give first and then I'll meet your needs. You wanna know why? Because the word faith means to trust and obey. You don't have faith if you're simply saying, I rely on God. You have faith when you both rely on God and obey God, they go hand in hand. So when I obey God, then I invite God into my battle and my battle becomes his battle and he fights for me and he begins to do the impossible. But if you are still in a place where you're saying, God, I want you to do this for me, but you're gonna do it my way, you haven't taken a step of faith yet because faith says, God, it's your battle, your way and I will simply rely on you and obey you. I will do whatever you want. Some of you, you're asking God to heal your marriage, but you're cheating on your spouse. You want God to heal your marriage, but you're still looking at pornography. So you gotta, you gotta be obedient while relying on God. God wants to do a miracle. You're on the front end of a miracle, but your miracle is gonna be invited through your obedience. God doesn't need your strength. God doesn't need your ability. What God wants is your obedience. Watch me, follow my lead, do exactly what I say. Some of you, you're trying to negotiate with God, but he's not in the negotiating business. 
He's in the do exactly what I say business and I will show up and do the impossible. Stop negotiating with God. Stop trying to talk God out of his commands for your life. Stop trying to tell God how you're gonna do things and then expect him to show up and do the impossible. See, impossible battles bring us to a place where we come back to God, recklessly depend on God, then recklessly obey God. Here's what happens. They blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding it in their right hands, the trumpets they were, they, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And it, it continues and it says, they killed each other. The Midianites turned on each other. They killed each other. And all the 300 guys did is they went through the, the camp and they cleaned up the mess. They just killed whoever was left. And what you discover is that when you recklessly depend, rely on God and you recklessly obey God, he fights for you. And very often he'll turn your enemies on themselves because God wants all the credit. God will take your setbacks and turn them into a setup for him to show up and do the impossible so that you experience not just an unlikely comeback, but you experience an impossible comeback. Your life is on the front end of a miracle, but that miracle comes when you recklessly rely on God and you recklessly obey God. And so right now I would challenge you, where are you at? Maybe your step right now is you need to come back to God. Maybe you've been far away from God. And today is your moment when you're gonna say yes to Jesus by faith. You're gonna ask him to forgive you of your sins and give you a new life. And if that's where you're at, I would encourage you to take this moment right now and you begin to pray. Jesus, I need you. You're all I have. Forgive me of sin and give me a new life. I invite your spirit into my spirit. For others of you, you're coming back to God, but it's one of repentance. God, I've, I've strayed from you. I've been doing all, my own thing for a while and I need to come back to faith in Jesus. If that's where you're at, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We have a prayer team available on either sides of the stage, but if you're making that decision for Christ, at some point in the rest of the service, feel free to come over to the banner that says raised to life because what that's the statement of is you've been raised to new life. For others of you, you need to, you need to come to that place where you're ready to fully and recklessly rely on God. Or maybe it's time for you to be obedient and you need to recklessly obey God. But I wanna give you a moment right now just to pause and pray and let God's spirit speak to your spirit. Would you do that right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.